One of the things that I discovered when I was in seminary is that many people you meet will ask you, why do you want to become a priest? Now that question might seem perfectly normal, but it's actually a little odd when you think about it, in that it would be kind of an oddly personal question to ask someone engaged to be married, why do you want to marry so-and-so? Having said that, it wasn't just friends and family members and people that you would meet while serving in a parish in the summer who would ask you, why do you want to become a priest? The church herself asks men aspiring to the priesthood that very question, and one had to articulate an answer in order to get into seminary. And then you had to, re-give, you had to give renewed answers to that question at several steps along the way to ordination. Now, there's good reason for that, because a man's discernment to the priesthood is a two-way street. The bishop who is considering a man for ordination has to be morally certain that he is possessed of a genuine call and that he is suitably prepared for ministry. And the same would be true of a man or woman seeking religious life. The religious order would have to be convinced that the candidate has a call to be a part of that religious community. But as necessary as that dialogue is to ensure that a person is suitably called to the priestly or religious vocation, I always tried to keep in mind something else that I once heard. It was spoken by Cardinal Malcolm Ranjinth of Sri Lanka. He said, you can never fully explain your vocation. It's always a mystery. Something happens inside of you. This fourth Sunday is known as, this fourth Sunday of Easter is known as Good Shepherd Sunday. The gospel reading is taken from John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so appropriately, the church also designates this Sunday as the World Day of Prayer for Vocations. This passage captures something of the mystery that is at the heart of a priestly or religious vocation. Notice that Jesus doesn't say how his sheep will hear his voice, or how they will know it's him, or how they will know where and when and how he wants them to follow him. There's a mysterious intuition at play in the call and in the response. One of the dangers, I think, is that when someone shows a sign of interest in a priestly or religious vocation, people will start almost attacking them with the usual questions. So how come you want to be a priest? Or what draws you to the convent or the monastery? Or tell us your vocation story. Sometimes there's a kind of pressure on the person being asked these questions. They think they have to have some kind of compelling narrative that will justify their choice to pursue that vocation, something that they can articulate to satisfy others' curiosity. But in reality, the answer to these questions are shrouded in the mystery of Christ. He calls according to his wisdom, not ours. And we respond by his light, not by our own. I had a priest professor in seminary who said that when people asked him to give his vocation story, he would say, I went to seminary and I got ordained. What else do you need to know? Now, I love a good vocation story as much as the next person, 
but there is a certain wisdom in that response. A vocation is about being called to follow Jesus Christ, not everything that led up to it or surrounded it. Now, like I said before, those who have a responsibility in the church for accepting and training candidates for the priesthood and the religious life do have to ask those questions. I suspect, however, that their focus is more on weeding out those who give clearly inappropriate answers, ones that reveal immaturity or hubris or ulterior motives, rather than looking for any one right particular answer. Because as the good cardinal said, a vocation is a mystery. That's true, I think, of any vocation, whether priestly or religious or marital. So one piece of advice that I would have for anyone out there who is feeling a call, and of course I'm looking particularly at our altar servers, let the mystery of the vocation do the work. Don't try to overanalyze it or feel that you have to give some compelling story to to justify it to others. Rather, trust in the Lord and move forward with the process. Talk to the diocese or religious order that you feel drawn to, and then leave it at that. Yes, at the appropriate time, the appropriate people will ask the appropriate questions. But when that time comes, the appropriate responses will come to you if your call is genuine. And similarly, if you have someone in your circle, a child or a family member or a friend who might be hearing the call to priestly or religious life, I would warn you, be wary of pushing that person to justify or articulate their sense of being called too much. I would suggest that instead of seeking to analyze and understand their vocation, just look to see if they are at peace with going forward to the next step, whether that's talking to the vocations office or applying to seminary or getting ordained. Speaking at least of my experience in the diocesan seminary, I saw not a few seminarians who had a very tortured sense of discernment. There was kind of a heaviness and an unease to it. I also saw this even more often with men who were on the periphery, those wrestling with the question of whether they should even start the application to the seminary in the first place. In a lot of cases, I think the root of that problem might be in the, in the tendency towards confusing discernment with a kind of endlessly morbid introspection. And that problem might be the result of the seminarian or would-be seminarian feeling the need to see their life and their call in this arc of a grand narrative, a narrative that just points inevitably to the priesthood. This need to see explicitly supernatural signs of God's call in their life that they can share with others. Sadly, I think this tendency can be caused or at least exacerbated by the endless questions of friends or family members. The man can start to feel that unless he has a quote-unquote good answer to these probing questions that delights or fascinates or satisfies others, perhaps he isn't really called. Rather, we must be content with the words of St. Francis, who said to us, what a man or woman is before God, that is what he or she is and nothing more. The person who has the detachment to seek after holiness in their vocation will always be somewhat opaque to others, perhaps even to themselves. A vocation is a mystery. It's not a problem to be solved, but a love to be embraced.
It's something to be rather than merely to do. Now, don't get me wrong. A person discerning a vocation, any vocation, does have to pray and reflect. And they even have to seek counsel from others on whether this is a wise choice to make. But I think the focus should be on being at peace with one's decision, rather than with trying to endlessly narrate it or justify it to others. Another related issue, of course, for men who are preparing for the priesthood or for those preparing for the religious life is the question of celibacy. I think that for a lot of men in seminary, it's the single biggest hurdle. And that's perfectly normal. It's something that needs to be prayed over and discerned very carefully. But again, related to what I said before, it can suffer from overanalysis. Celibacy is what it is. And some people, I think, have a tendency to want to draw too tight of an analogy between the married and the celibate state. Now, certainly there are some parallels, but they are also very different. And I think that sometimes some of the men I knew in seminary expected that the feelings or happiness that they would get from pursuing a vocation to the priesthood would exactly track the kinds of feelings and happiness they would expect or that perhaps they had in dating in courtship or that perhaps the joys of priesthood would be exactly the same as the kind of joys one would have in having a family. Again, there are parallels, but anyone looking for a one-to-one correlation will be sadly disappointed. Each vocation has its unique consolations as well as its unique challenges. But sometimes I think that our modern Catholic culture can be kind of overly romantic about the nature of vocations, whether priestly or religious or marital. And this can contribute to false hopes and expectations. Too many people seek after emotional highs and ecstatic joy in their vocation or potential vocation, rather than seeking genuine peace and the opportunity for self-giving. Back in the fifth century, St. Augustine gave a homily in which he tried to console those who were actually disappointed that they weren't given the grace to be martyred for Christ. And back then, martyrdom was commonly spoken of as a vocation unto itself. And he said this, The garden of the Lord, brethren, includes, yes, it truly includes, not only the roses of martyrs, but also the lilies of virgins and the ivy of married people, and the violet of widows. There is absolutely no kind of human being, dearly beloved, who need to despair of their vocation. Christ suffered for all, and he desires to save all. There's sort of an interesting parallel with our liturgical year. Roses are red, lilies are white, ivy is green, and violets are, of course, violet. The four principal colors of the liturgical year correspond to the four principal vocations or states in life, celibate, married, and widowed, plus martyrdom, which can grace any of these. I quote that not to suggest that a person just arbitrarily pick any vocation as though it were an indifferent issue, but rather to recall our common baptismal vocation. The vocations to the priesthood, the religious, and the married life are the means that God gives us to live out the grace we receive in baptism and confirmation. A vocation is ultimately meant for one common purpose, to help us get to heaven and to help us to help others get to heaven. When we acknowledge that, we are reminded that the purpose of our vocation, whatever it is, is not this life, 
but the next. We are reminded to seek after the Lord's will, which should certainly bring us peace, but we don't have false expectations of rapturous joy or endless consolations in this life. It should be about giving rather than getting. It's not about radiating our own light, but rather Christ, because Christ is the good shepherd. A vocation lived well should demonstrate the words of the Lord. I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may be an instrument of salvation to the ends of the earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.